Hey folks, it's Jeff Winslow from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, I'm back. I told you this today was a double header. Double header Thursday is what we're calling today. I'm only going to do this once in a great while, but I, you know, it's all about it's all about timing, right? But I'm back. Hopefully, you enjoyed the episode I launched earlier this af- earlier this morning. I should say now we're in the afternoon, and like I told you, I'm back. But today, not even today, right now, we're going to be talking to Jeff Morrow from Red Dragon in. Uh, this is number six, villains, villains, villains. So Jeff is a expert tabletop game designer. He knows everything about there. He's been around for a long time in the industry, knows what knows what's going on, right? So um, really, really great conversation with him about uh, their new game. And, um, and they've ran, uh, I think, six campaigns already. Don't quote me on that. Six or seven, something like that. So that conversation is coming up here in a minute. Um, but I did just get back. So every Thursday, um, I have the pleasure of hanging out with a buddy of mine and his daughter. And our daughters are the same age, and we get to walk around, and we go get cookies and whatnot. But while I was over there, um, he was asking me some questions about motors and music. Now, that might not mean something for some of you out there, but that means a lot for me. So let me tell you a little bit about um, this music festival that I was a part of. Um, it was called Motors and Music. It was here in Detroit, and it was actually at the Pontiac Silverdome. If you guys don't know what the Pontiac Silverdome is, check out, go Google that. And it was in the parking lot of that. Now, this parking lot is literally, it might be three miles wide. I mean, it was just gigantic, right? So we had three stages. Um, and and my partner, Sean, and I, we were brought in, and I describe this as we, we were brought in similar to like a Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. So if you're familiar with that, that's how we were brought in. This, we, weren't, we weren't around for the early staging ideas of this, of this uh, festival. We, we, we were brought in to help, right? So headliners for this thing was Stone Temple Pilots, Ice T. We had some Mayor Hawthorne. We had Dominic Rayola. We had Shiny Toy Guns. I don't know. You know. And, and Sean and I actually created a whole local Detroit stage. And, and local, I mean, we had, we had it curated with good bands and we had a... But in a nutshell, so, so this festival that we worked on, we were supposed to have over 40,000 people at it. And how many people do you think we actually had? 600 ticket sales is what ultimately walked through. Yeah, that's right. 600, that's two zeros. So nowhere near what we thought we were going to get, right? Now... Of course, where does the blame start to go in this conversation, right? Well, number one, I don't know why on earth we, we thought Stone Temple Pilots was going to draw that many people. You know, that's a band that hasn't had a hit in 10 years. And now at this point, you know, I who even knows what they would be. But this is, this is back in 2000, um, yeah, 2012 is when, when this happened uh, in August. You know, we were competing against uh, the Woodward Dream Cruise, which is a huge, you know, multi-day event that you know everybody loves it's where you drive your car up and down woodward avenue and you take out your old car so we were competing against that then we had you know i mean look at the look at how we curated this talent we had stone temple pilots iced tea shiny toy you know these bands don't go together this isn't cool nope but that's who's our who's our who is our customer avatar who is coming to this thing and then we were charging i don't know like 40 or 50 bucks for a ticket we were supposed to have a car show that didn't happen i think we had like three cars show up for that so the whole reason this event happened was the a guy literally a guy name was larry we won't go into much more detail but he wanted his son to open up for um Stone Temple Pilots, because his son had a band. Now his son, now how old do you think his son was? His son was in like, I think, eighth grade or ninth grade, and their band was awful, 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 awful. So, so this guy literally bankrolled this entire festival. I mean, we had three stages. We had Thunder Audio um, did the, the, the stages. I mean, that's like Metallica uses them for their, for their shows. Um, you know, we had the best of the best of everything. You know, we're, we're in this... Um, Silverdome, you know, the, their suites basically, or their offices, I should say, is what, what it was, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to get more people. So one of the ideas was, and this is something that Sean and I did, is we literally, literally probably had uh, twenty five dollars to $30,000 um, 
uh, in, I'm sorry, 20 to 30,000 tickets, printed tickets in the back of our car and we're driving up and down Woodward Avenue and we're just throwing them out the window, right? Just throwing them back and forth like, hey, come to this free thing, right? So, so we ended up having people scalp those tickets when we did that. Um, you know, it was just an absolute train wreck. Then we were getting into fights too with the, the ticketing, the online ticketing agency because we were swore we, we sold more tickets than that and, and, you know, we weren't seeing the money or the... It was so bad. I remember there was a scene and, and Sean could back me up on this where like Mayor Hawthorne is doing a DJ set and his stage is literally, his stage might as well have been in Canada for, for as close as it was to everything else in the, 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 the parking lot. But there was like one, literally one person and I'm not saying that to be dramatic, like literally one person watching. And I think we have some photos of it. I mean, I could maybe find them, but you know, this, there, <laughs> there's another one. I remember Trick Trick showed up, right? He was he was one of the acts that played on one of the stages or whatever. Th- there was a point where there might have been more people behind the stage for Trick Trick and his crew than there were in the audience to actually perform. We had trailers back there. It was... I don't even know if shit show is the right verbiage to describe this. It was just epic beyond epic. Oh, I, I, I mean, I could... I'm gonna, I'll have to cut myself short at some point because I could go on and on with this and, and my buddy Dwayne just literally brought up all these uh, thoughts and memories. So that's why they're so fresh in my mind. But the lawyer did not read the writer for Stone Temple Pilots. Like didn't, we didn't really read it or agree to, you know, so we ended up agreeing to some ridiculous things. I remember there was a moment where Stone Temple Pilots basically took all of the ice for the entire festival because they demanded it for their, their um, tour buses and and their catering and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah. I, oh, speaking of catering and also in the writer, like sensible pilots got, were, were the only ones allowed to have catering. Nobody else in the festival. So we had these other big bands myself. I didn't eat that day. And I was one of the high ups at this festival. I couldn't eat because I wasn't allowed. I, I wasn't given a voucher or something for, uh, for the booth because I'm not so typical pilots in their crew. <laughs> It's all funny now, but at the time, this was one of the most epic events in my life that was absolutely chaotic. Here's another little fun fact. So we had golf carts for this event, right? Of course, it's like a three-mile trek back and forth, and and you have to be everywhere. We had walkie-talkie. So Larry and his son... And they're friends. So they have, you know, 20, 30 friends because obviously this is the coolest thing happening to them for some eighth graders. They end up taking the golf carts and running them out a lot of batteries. This is before the festival even starts, right? This is at like 8 in the morning till like 12, right? They, they run the batteries out of these golf carts. So now there's no transportation for the crew, me and, you know, all the other 30 or 40 other people work putting this event on to get back and forth. So we end up having to walk all day, and it's 95 some degrees. We're in this parking lot. Um, you know, the sun is just beaming off of the concrete, right? There's no shade anywhere. And we're just getting sunburned. And Sean Neal literally got the worst case of swamp ass in the history, history of swamp ass. Ask him about it someday. He will go into great detail. But what happened to him on that day... <laughs> was so intense. I mean, bonkers intense. <laughs> so he's literally walking like he was in stirrups and, uh, you know, just <laughs> knees are pulled way out because he's just sweating so bad, just chafing. Oh, my God. All because we don't have these golf- fucking golf carts because these stupid kids ran the batteries out of them. And do you think anybody could charge them? No, of course not. So we're literally walking. You know, And what would happen for us is like every, every like, hour it'd be like jeff we need you over here or sean we need you over here and oh that's a three mile walk i'll see you in 30 minutes you know or whatever is our mile walk i'll see you in 30 you know you get over there you answer the question you roll right back that's another 30 minutes so we're literally doing this back and forth all while here's the other thing all while maintaining a spot we had a sponsorship green room where the artist was once they got off perform got done performing they would come in this green room and then that would be videotaped and that content would be put up online we ended up getting into a huge fight with the videographer because he decided that he just doesn't want, didn't want to do it because the event wasn't being successful. It's like, dude, people paid us. We had a sponsor pay us. You got to put this stuff up, right? Oh, I could go on and on. One of the, 
definitely one of my great stories. You know, something I will not forget, unfortunately, is being a part of an absolute train wreck festival on, on, ep, on an epic level. Not, hey, we rented, a, we rented a, a venue and nobody showed up. We're talking about epic level failure. But I will let you know, my stage and my little area that I was a part, that I, that I curated with Sean and I, with the Groovebox studio stage, was really, really good. We had great bands. And our event, our portion, portion of the event went off like gangbusters. We actually did a really nice job. So, and I think I'm not just tooting my own horn. I think other people would say that as well. So, all right. So, like I said, we're, we're getting ready for the double header here. I got Jeff Morrow coming up here in a second from um, Red Dragon Inn. Um, this is uh, number six. This is Villains. And we talk about their game and stuff like that. So a couple things here. I think I mentioned before we got a product that's getting ready to launch. So you're going to be seeing some of that. The other thing is we are thinking... Actually, I'm not thinking. I am looking for a sponsor to help us out. I'm going to give you some free sponsorship ad time on the podcast and on the website. Um, so if you're interested in that, get in touch with me. That's jeff at woodshed.agency. Um, and uh, I'll let you know what we're looking for. But I'm definitely looking for somebody to uh, step up and get some uh, help me out with some advertising. You're going to get It's free. Uh, I'm just looking for that first guy to, to bite and uh, we can tell you how we're gonna how we're gonna work through that. So also make sure you sign up for our Slack channel, join our community. That's where we've got a ton of great info going on for crowdfunding. Um, really, really great stuff. So sign up for that. It does cost a little bit of money, but it's definitely well worth it. It's a lifetime um, access uh, fee. So check that out. And uh, all right, let's kick into my conversation. This is it. Double header day. Exciting day, huh? Two. Two on a Thursday, back to back. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Jeff, I've got the record light on. This is uh, my favorite time in podcasting when I get to hit the record button. I've said this now a few weeks, and uh, I just love recording, man. It's so great. So, Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time uh, out of your day to join us on our podcast. But could you start off uh, our, our conversation with telling my listeners a little bit about what you're crowdfunding right now? Uh, sure. I'm I'm in charge of the company Slugfest Games, uh, which makes a bunch of different game products, including the Red Dragon Inn series. Okay. And our current project on Kickstarter is the Red Dragon in Six, which is our villains expansion. So, am I am I safe to assume that there's um there's five other Red Dragon uh, series uh, of games? There's there's more than that actually. So oh, really, so the way the the way that the series works is. Um, so it's a Red Dragon Inn is a jokey card game about what the adventurers do after the adventure. So you're you've already gone and cleared the dungeon and you know cleared out all the monsters and gotten the gold and so forth. And now you're back in the tavern, healed up, cleaned up, and ready to party. Um, okay. And uh, so so yeah, it's a very popular game. Uh, loads of fun to play. Um, everybody plays a different one of these adventuring characters. And so previous to this project that we're kickstarting now, there are five base uh, base sets which contain four unique characters and everything you need to play. Plus we have um, a bunch of other products that are just single or dual character expansions that okay. uh, they don't contain everything you need to play, but they, they have you know, more characters that you can add to the game. So <clears throat> for the Red Dragon in six, we decided to do a little twist here where instead of being the adventurers, you're the bad guys partying in your own tavern. And uh, the way it works is it's uh, completely compatible with the other sets as well. So if you want to play a mixed game of adventurers and villains, well, that's, you know, thematically silly, but it works perfectly fine and it would actually be a lot of zany fun. So that's the project we're kickstarting right now. <clears throat> that's very, that's intriguing. So, so you have the ability. Just correct me if I'm wrong. To be able to play like this version with version four or, or an older game. Correct. And they all kind. Of, man, 
that seems like you could have like a an epic game going on one day. It sounds like yeah. So uh, it can. So there there are now thirty three I think different characters that you can play. Um, you could technically play a thirty three player game, but that wow. would be kind of gross. Um, <laughs> we we suggest because the game kind of bogs down and there's a, you know a lot of downtime in a game that big. Usually um, usually we tell people if you're gonna play with more than like eight or so players you should think about splitting it up into two games and and then having like you know the winners play off against each other okay interesting interesting. so um so you you mentioned slugfest games but what is your um kind of role or position inside of it sounds like the company and then as well as inside of the actual uh the games themselves uh yeah i am the president of the company um and i am also one of the designers on uh, most of our recent titles. Uh, I've been with the company for about uh, seven, seven, eight years, something like that. I, I'm, I'm not a founding member, but I, uh, in fact, interestingly, um, uh, the the current makeup of Slugfest Games doesn't include any of the founding members. So the the uh, they they did a good job starting a company that could that could outlast, you know, their own participation in it. So, uh, that was, that, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I am the president and, and one of the game designers as well. This, that's cool. So how did you get into game design then? Um, I'm assuming that you didn't just kind of start doing this one day, uh, out of the blue, right? Uh, so what happened with me? So, um, my background is in uh, computer programming and and so forth, and I I even still do a little bit of that on the side. Um, but uh, how I got into gaming was I was um, I was kind of a, a member of the settlers generation, meaning the, okay. the people who the people who got into uh, gaming and particularly Euro style board games. Um, in the, in the boom that happened after Settlers of Catan came out. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't know if you're familiar with Settlers of Catan. Uh, it's a, it's sort of a classic board game. Um, and it was, it was a really good sort of gateway game for a lot of people who had only ever been exposed to games like Monopoly or Scrabble before. So um, that, that, that would be me. Uh, I've been exposed to those games. Yeah. Okay. So, so back in, uh, when did settlers come out? I think it was 1998 that settlers came out. And then shortly after that, you know, um, the, the sort of, uh, Euro game, the sort of heavier strategy game genre, uh, really kind of took off. And a lot of people, including me, um, uh, started, gaming a lot more with games like that and games like Carcassonne and games like Ticket to Ride. Um, and so a lot of us ended up, uh, you know, becoming gamers and some of us decided, Hey, I could, I could do this. <laughs> so, uh, in my case, what I ended up doing was I, um, designed a few games and tried them out with my friends and I uh there's a there's a game convention here every year in in San Francisco called Kublicon and they generally have a game design contest and so one year I think it was 2002 2003 I don't even remember which year it was I I won that contest. Well, um, wow, that's cool. And after that, I was I tried unsuccessfully to get uh, get a game design of my own picked up by a publisher. Um, but around the same time, I met Cliff Bohm, who was one of the founders of Slugfest Games, and uh, he had just moved to the the Bay Area, and I roped him into my weekly gaming group. Um, and he, you know, he showed us some stuff and we play tested with him. And eventually I started helping him out, uh, with various things that needed to be done for Slugfest, which is a, what's a much smaller company at the time. Um, and yeah, it kind of went from there. And eventually, uh, I, I came on, you know, as an actual part-time employee. And after that, um, Cliff wanted to, uh, go on to a, a different 
job. He he now works in artificial intelligence research. Um, it's which, an interesting which is, change. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Uh, he he does really interesting work. Um, but he he wanted someone to take the reins of Slugfest, and that ended up being me. And that was about two years ago. And since then, we've been continuing the uh, continuing the gaming. That's cool. So you seem like the perfect guy to ask this because you've ran multiple Kickstarters here. What was the landscape like for board games before Kickstarter was around? Because yeah. I do these interviews and I'm just like, man, thank God Kickstarter came out. I mean, this just has just amplified yeah. gaming to no end. Like, yes. what was it like in 98 and 99? What, so what were you doing? You know, What it was like before Kickstarter. So Kickstarter has been utterly transformative for the tabletop games industry. Um, because before Kickstarter, it literally was drop twenty thousand thirty thousand dollars on on manufacturing a game right. and hope that people buy it get the old fingers crossed huh yes that and that was that was pretty much all we could do and and it burned us once or twice um so fortunately it never burned us badly enough that it sunk the whole company but we we definitely had a couple of titles pre-kickstarter that were eh you know, right that, right? that didn't do very well, and we might have been better off spending our money elsewhere. Um, wow. With Kickstarter, yeah, and like I said, completely transformative for the industry because you you know before you have to print. Now, as you know, and I'm I'm sure you know from talking to many people doing campaigns, there's there's a new set of challenges there, right? There's mm-hmm. there's making sure you've actually thought of everything and and figuring out shipping shipping is always a bear right 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 um but you don't have to just write a five digit check and cross your fingers anymore yeah <sighs> yeah different sounds like it's such a different landscape back in the day and 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 i feel too like from having these conversations with so many gamers it's just like and the games have gotten so much better. There's so many new ideas. It's like, you know, yeah. there probably isn't all there, you know, for lack of a better term, the gatekeeper isn't there anymore. Like, ah, I don't really like that game or that style type of game. You know, it just seems like it's just, it's wide open. And I, I it's, it's really intriguing. Yeah. I mean, the, so saying the gatekeeper isn't there anymore isn't quite correct in my opinion. It's, it's okay. the gatekeeper has changed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you're right. You're right. You're right. That is a better way to put it. The, the gatekeeper is, you know, is actually the the the, the market now, um, yeah. and that's uh, you know I think that's mostly a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the as a result, the the market, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of games out there now. There's a lot of very good games out there now. Um, it's it's done interesting things because the um, the you know the like I said, the gatekeeper has changed, and so. For example, for a long time, you saw this rash of zombie games. Right. And, you know, some of us are a little like, you know, rolling our eyes at, oh, look, another zombie game. But hey, if that's what people want, that's what we should be designing, right? <laughs> um, now, now it's more like, now it's Viking games, right? There's a lot of Viking games coming out. And that's, <laughs> there are, uh, I think I've talked to a few of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and at the, uh, so some of us grizzled older guys are like, okay, yeah, whatever. But, you know, they're, they're doing what the customers want, so how can that right. be wrong? You know, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so in terms of this game, what was the kind of the big challenges that you you were facing? Um, you know, kind of with the brand itself, by you know, because again, you went back to the well, um, and then just storyline, and then just what was you know what was the challenges to to get this game out? Well, let's see. What were I mean? You know, we're we're still putting the finishing touches on it, of course, while the mm-hmm. while the campaign's going on. Um, for us, in terms of the game design, or in terms of the of the campaign design, no, the the actual game itself. We'll get into the campaign okay. a little bit later, but just the actual game. Yeah, sure. Um, well, we knew uh, we've known for a couple of years that that we wanted to do a villains set, um, uh, because it, we just thought it would be a, a a jokey, you know, a sort of a self referential joke, you know sort of poking fun at our own franchise. Uh, um, and so we have this, when we're, when we're uh, designing heroic villain, uh, sorry, heroic 
uh, adventurer characters in our normal sets, we have this we have this interesting problem where the game consists of uh, you know cards that you can use to uh, to attack your opponents like by uh, you know hitting them in various ways. But when you're dealing with adventurers who are all friends and who are all partying together, it's hard to justify. Hey friend, we're at the tavern and I just punch you in the face for no reason, right? So, so we can't do that with our, with our heroic, um, characters. So we come up with various excuses like, oh no, I dropped something on you or, or, you know, oh my, my, uh, you know, I didn't know my, my crossbow was still armed or, you know, the various sort of accidental ways to hit them. So, um, that actually turned out to be a little bit liberating to do villains because the villain characters, they can actually just be jerks to each other. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so that was a, that was a fun part of the design. Um, the, uh, one challenge we're, we're working on and like I said, putting the finishing touches on is, um, for, for villains, we wanted a couple of, um, uh, extra play variants um so what this this game is going to include is a pair mode um we're calling it two-headed dragon mode where instead of playing you know one-on-one or one-on-one on one-on-one or whatever you can play two-on-two uh or like heroes versus villains or something like that Hmm. um and we're also working on boss mode so each of these villain characters is also going to have some extra cards that you can shuffle in. And now they're hulked out and they're, they're boss and they play, um, like three on one or four on one where boss, the boss is the one and the, the heroes gang up on them, but they're, you know, really hulked out and powerful. Wow. That's cool. Interesting. So I usually, one of the things I love talking to, you know, game designers like yourself is, is, hearing how the process kind of starts with you. So, I mean, everything you just talked about sounds awesome, but, but where do you usually find that like spark or that moment where you're like, Oh, that's a good idea. The boss thing, like you were just talking about that, that could happen. And then this could happen. And like, how does that start to spiral? And how do you like, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say fact check, but like check yourself like, Oh yeah, that, you know, we can or can't do that in the game. Like, like how do you monitor that or maintain, you know, work with that, you know? Um, well, so for, for the, for the spark, um, what I one one thing I can say is that the the idea for Red Dragon in uh, for for a Red Dragon in villain set actually predates me in okay. the company. Um, so we've been thinking about this for a long, long time, but it was it was never something we actually um, got you know got in there and did. Um, but in terms of how we typically think of new Red Dragon in characters, what we start with is um, what what sort of standard adventurer, or in this case villain, tropes exist out there that we can parody. Hmm. Because okay. ultimately, that's what we're doing is we're a, we're a right. parody game. And the the first the very first Red Dragon inset um, has the four classic. Uh, adventurer archetypes: the the wizard, the thief, the fighter, and the cleric. Okay, right. right. So that that was the first set, and since then we've been finding, you know, who who might be in a, in an adventuring party that we haven't tapped yet. Hmm. Right. So so we got a we got a Tolkien style dwarf in there. We got a um, we got a you know. We've got clerics, more clerics. We've got a trickster mage. Um, what else? We've got a we've got a ninja kind of character. You know, right, right. whole whole list of them. Villains, of course. We we came up with four. Well, so no, we came up with seven actually, and these are the these are the four that were working the best. Um, but now that we're into this whole new space of once we're once we're doing villains, now we have a whole bunch of new tropes to tap so so there's a pretty good chance that there will end up being more villain characters in the future and and is there any like um you know uh line in the sand like you know what we went too far you know that's just not on brand or you know is there anything like that um well like i said there there are 
there are characters in the dustbin, right? Mm-hmm. There, there right. are, uh, like I said, we, we designed seven characters for this, um, for this set, uh, you know, in, intending, uh, intending, of course, to pick the best four, but, um, one or two of them will probably end up being released at some point. One of them, unfortunately, one of them we really just couldn't get to work. Um, mm. uh, one of them was a, uh, one of them was a character with a very funny concept, but the funny concept translated into mechanics that our playtesters hated. Oh, really? Uh, they, they were, they were like, this, this is frustrating. I don't want to play this guy. And so we, you know, we scrapped him. And so sure. if we, uh, if we revisit that character, it will probably need a pretty major mechanics overhaul because the, um, you know, the, the theme was very funny, but we couldn't get mechanics that, that worked along with it. Can you can you describe a little bit like when you say mechanics? What does that mean inside of your game? Um, it means how we translate the character into the cards. So every every character in the game uh, is a is a forty card deck. Um, okay. And when you when you play the game, you take your character's deck. Um, and some of them have side decks or other components, but 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 everybody has this forty card character deck and a lot of the decks do a lot of the same things but the story on all of them is different so Uh, so these various ways that i told you about that that i can you know hit you quote unquote mm -hmm. um they're different for every character so so for gurky the sneak our rogue character one of those hits is um have you seen my poison i left it in a mug right here right uh, and, and you, you drank my poison and so you lose two fortitude, right? Um, or in the case of our cleric character, that same card, right? The, the hit someone for two is actually, oh no, I think that, uh, I think that growth on your arm might be mummy rot. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. So it's the same, it's the same effect, right? It's the same mechanic, but the, the story is different and the theme is different because the, the character is different. Gotcha. That makes sense. So that's yeah. the theme mechanics thing. That's cool. Very cool. So, uh, tell me how the stretch goals worked inside your campaign because I think you've hit. Well, you hit all of them. That it looks like you're adding a hundred and four, hundred four thousand uh, dollar stretch goal. But the other ones you've hit all the way up to eighty k. So, how did those play into the game? Uh, so, so what happens with us is um, <clears throat> essentially we we plan out what we want the retail game to have in it um at a at a bare minimum okay because remember although we do uh we do stuff on kickstarter we actually sell more games through the normal uh you know game distribution channels than we do through kickstarter um yeah we the with us the way the way a kickstarter typically works is we we do all the stretch goals, we do all the printing and shipping and all of that, and then uh but but we purchase a a print run of usually ten thousand copies, uh ten ten or twelve thousand units. And it it costs everything that we made from Kickstarter, and maybe maybe sometimes even a little bit more, depending on where we end up at the end of the campaign. Sure. But our business model is we um we kickstart a game and then our quote unquote profit from the Kickstarter is, you know, 8,000 more copies of the game sitting in our warehouse ready to sell. And gotcha. since it's, uh, since Red Dragon Inn is a fairly popular brand, there's not very much risk associated with that because we're pretty confident that those games will actually sell. Mm-hmm. And that's our, you know, quote unquote profit. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, so. To get back to your question about stretch goals, uh, what we do is we we say, okay, what what is the minimum that we want to appear in the in the game that sells on retail shelves? Then we um, then we think of a couple of extra you know things that would be great to put into the retail game. Those are our stretch goals, mm-hmm. and then we think of one or two extra things that it would be great to put in the kickstarter edition to say hey thanks for thanks for backing us you know thanks for supporting us early 
Right. Um, and those are the, you know, uh, promo cards or, or whatever else we decide sure. to put in. What's the relationship because you're in retail, um, and have a it sounds like have a pretty strong impact on retail. It's a, it's a major part of your business. What does the retail side of your business feel about you know launching on Kickstarter? Do they just play nice together, or is there jealousy? Like like what is what's that relationship look like? Yeah, that was the that was the big growing pains thing for um, Kickstarter and tabletop gaming mm-hmm. because as I said before, it was. For manufacturers, it was completely transformative, uh, com- completely. Uh, but yeah, early on, retailers didn't like it. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, retailers, uh, a lot of them were like, "You're you're stabbing us in the back. Um, what are you What are you doing? You know, why are you doing this?" Um, and so, two three years ago, uh, this was, you know. This was kind of a, a, a loud thing. Um, but a lot of retailers, by the way, not all, some, some still don't like Kickstarter and don't like what it's doing at all. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of the better retailers have realized that what this is doing now is that they have, uh, there's, there's a lot of good games, uh, out on the market now. There's a lot of, uh, you know, better games than there were before. And that by looking and seeing what, uh, was popular, they can, they can stock their shelves with things that they, that, that involve less risk for them, just like it involves less risk for us, the, the manufacturers. So, so you are, you are correct that there is still, you know, there is still a bit of tension there from time to time, but over the past few years, a lot of retailers, I think have realized that this is not the uh this is not the end of the world that they might have thought that it was. Right. And did you guys make a decision to go into retail or was retail already established just because of the, you know, how long your company's been around? Oh yeah, we were retail first. We, yeah, we were retail yeah. before Kickstarter even existed. Right. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So if, I didn't know if it was a cuz some some of the conversations with some of the gamers are just like I don't know why we would go to retail, you know, I and they and they they have their vision and their point and I I see there's uh there is as well like that's yeah, yeah that that is not an invalid strategy in my opinion mm-hmm. that 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 is not at all an invalid strategy that if you um if you're making good money just doing stuff through Kickstarter then then yeah um save yourself the headache I'd say <laughs> right yep yeah that's that's what it usually sounds like well let's flip over since we've talked a little bit about Kickstarter about this actual campaign so so for my listeners out there I mean you guys had a $15,000 goal and you're over 100k so you've obviously you've obviously crushed the goal and you've got a week left um, so what was kind of like an overall strategy um, you know I know you've ran you've ran quite a few campaigns right right I think yep. uh, this is our fifth or sixth fifth campaign or sixth, yeah something like that, that yeah um, so kind of you know what was the strategy leading up for this one and then how did it maybe differ from the other strategies uh the other yeah when we when we started off doing uh kickstarter um we you know we did the whole kitchen sink approach tons of stretch goals tons of add-ons tons of everything right um Mm -hmm. uh and and that ended up being a giant pain in the butt um for (laughs) For not a whole lot extra money, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> so for our past two campaigns, we've kept things super simple. Um, <clears throat> so, for example, what that means is we we don't uh, we don't do add-ons anymore. Um, uh, what we do instead is uh, during the campaign, you can order any of our products on our website, and you get free shipping. So, so as a, you know, as a, as a benefit during the campaign, as a, as a way of saying, Hey, we know some of you want add-ons. Sorry that that's not, uh, very feasible for us. Instead, order whatever you want, uh, from our website, you get free shipping and you get the stuff now. You don't have to wait until September when we're shipping this other product. Mm -hmm. Um, because as I alluded to earlier, shipping is always what, what kills you on, on these projects. And so, <clears throat> um, 
back when we did lots of add-ons, what we would have to do is we would have to send the games, the new games from our manufacturer to our various shipping partners, right? And we have multiple shipping partners because we do, you know, EU friendly, Canada friendly, AU friendly from on some of our campaigns. We don't always, because of various package sizes and weights, we can't always do that. But Mm -hmm. for this, for this campaign, we are. So when we did add ons, what we had to do is we had to send the new games to our, shipping partners but then we also had to send all of our old games to them as well so essentially doubling our our expense and workload in terms of getting games out to the shipping partners who can then get them out to backers gotcha um, wow. uh and then not only are you dealing with double shipping you're dealing with tariffs you're dealing with taxes you're dealing with all of that stuff and mm-hmm. it was uh it was a royal pain so um sounds like it so we uh we we avoid add-ons now and um and as a result the campaigns are a lot simpler and most importantly we can always be sure now that the success of our campaign is due to customer reaction to that game and not you know not customer reaction to our other products. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, was I mean, did you have you in the past seen uh, some healthy amount of crossover? And you know, is, is that why you're you're kind of focused on that at all? Sorry, what do you mean by crossover? I mean, but cross like uh, from your previous campaigns into this one. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Yes, is that yes. we were? We, yeah. We we see we have a lot of repeat backers. Yes, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And, and what is I guess for them? Is it just you know, it, it just extending that play or is it just excited to see what's coming next or, or, or what, you know, what's the kind of the temperature like for a backer? Um, I think it's that they, well, in terms of the, the red dragon in series. Yeah. We've got a lot of fans who, you know, who buy whatever comes out in that series. Mm-hmm. We, we have, so in, in meat space, right. In, in not, not Kickstarter space, we have, fans who come up to us at Gen Con every year and say, um, what, what's new? And we tell them what new characters are out and they're like, here's my credit card. I'll take it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so we have a ton of brand loyalty around the red dragon in series. Um, in fact, our last Kickstarter was uh, a different game set in the same world and using some of the same characters. So that was the Red Dragon in Battle for Greyport, which is a cooperative deck building game. And um and fortunately we got a lot of, you know, a lot of repeat backers on that project as well, even though it's not specifically a Red Dragon in uh game. Right. And so far the uh, you know, the reviews are coming back uh generally pretty positive on that one. Hmm, that's interesting. That's very cool. You know, so in terms of the strategy, I mean, did you, because you at least have this foundation built, though, are you still doing like Facebook ads or any sort of pay per clicks or anything like that uh, to kind of supplement, you know, your, your advertising for your campaign? So actually, it's, uh, it's funny you should mention that tomorrow um, we, we are taking over the front page of Board Game Geek. Oh, nice. That's, <laughs> I, think, that's I think it's tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I don't remember the exact, I think it's tomorrow. Um, so yes, we do do a little bit of, of outside advertising. Uh, we have a lot of followers on our, on our Facebook page. So we do things that way, but yeah, we, we also, when we do a Kickstarter campaign, we do, uh, we do a few paid ads mostly on board game geek. Okay. And is there any other, um, you know, well, let's just back it up. If, if you were telling somebody who's getting ready to launch a board game, you know, what would, what would a strategy be that you would have them focus on, uh, you know, first time out? I, so a few campaigns ago, we did board game geek and a bunch of other stuff. And now we pretty much just do board game geek. So the advice I would give is do board game geek. (laughs) (laughs) Do that Uh, one. uh. Uh, because the, um, the clicks per cost that you get from them is is pretty good and it's and that that is precisely the target audience you want to reach right yep right 
yeah, it makes sense to me. So, you know, we, you know what we didn't get into is that I always usually like to find out a, a little bit about like actual background. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Maine. Okay. Uh, I grew up just outside of Portland, Maine. All right. And are you, are you in Oakland right now? I am in Oakland, California now, okay. where I've lived for uh, lived for the last eleven years or so. Well, how did you uh, how did you go across the country? Was there uh, anything any story there? Uh, let's see. I well, I met my wife in college. Um, we went to college in, in Boston, and uh, we uh, we got married. Um, six days later, we graduated from college, um, and shortly after that, we put all of our meager possessions into a a budget rent a truck <laughs> all right and and drove to uh drove to the bay area uh where we've uh, lived ever since and so we we drove to the bay area because we were both uh going to be grad students at uc berkeley oh nice and so so we ended up here that was that was 20 years ago uh my wife and i just celebrated our 20th anniversary in fact congrats so on that That's that was nice. that was cool um, but yeah, that's how that's how we ended up here, and I I like the Bay Area a lot. That's cool. Now, is she into the board game world? Uh, somewhat. So so she's a she's a scientist. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, we that weekly that weekly game night that I mentioned earlier, I still have it. Um, in fact, tonight is tonight is <laughs> games <laughs> nice night. Tonight. Nice. Uh, and and so yeah, my wife joins in on that. Now, now, what's the sort of, um, I guess, the outside of you doing your board game nights, what's the local temperature like for board games? I mean, do you, you know, is there, a, is there a strong community in Oakland at all? Uh, so the Bay Area is, is yeah, very, very strong for um, just gaming in general because uh, there are, I know, of, I know of some tabletop game companies that are based here and, of course, a ton of computer game companies. Sure. Are, are based in this area. Uh, and because, and anytime you have, <clears throat> anytime you have a, an area where there's a lot of, you know, highly educated professionals with a little bit of extra time and money on their hands, um, gaming is usually going to thrive. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and, and, uh, and as a result, yeah, the Bay area is a, is a big gaming area. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always in, I'm always intrigued on these conversations to find out like what what the local temperature is like. And and wh- when you put on your board game nights, I mean, what do you do? Do you play a different game every week, or, or or how do you usually handle it? Yeah, usually it's it's a you know it's just a group of friends that that I've you know uh, that have uh, uh, more friends have sort of accrued over time. But it's a uh, it's yeah. I have a I have a big game shelf, and we pick depending on how many people are you know show up. We pick anywhere between one and three games to uh, to play, and it's usually so. What we typically play these days are what what are sometimes known as um, light strategy games. So okay. not not like in fact we we don't typically play things like the red dragon inn which is you know kind kind of funny but it's like you know you don't if you if you work in something you don't want to go home and do <laughs> right, that right, right, as well right. you know um so so we don't we play games that are a little bit more uh strategic than that but not full blown you know giant strategy games like you know every once in a while we'll pull off something like Kalis or Tigris and Euphrates or Tolkien and 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 have a have a fun time but more often it's the the lighter side of the strategy genre. So if you were on a desert island and you could only take one one game, what would you take? Oh boy. Um man, that's a hard question. <laughs> I still have kind of a soft spot for for Kalis, which okay. is one of those heavy strategy games. But yeah, I, I I, I wish your question were more specific because I have an answer for you in any subgenre of the <laughs> of the game industry. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the subgenres very well. So uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I've got the uh, I've got the elevator view here. I'm just looking down, going if you're on a desert island, you know. One thing, yeah, desert. So that that's one of my classics. So actually, just last night, my wife and I finished Pandemic Legacy. Okay. Which um, I don't know if you've heard of Pandemic. Pandemic I, is a cooperative game where you're trying to cure diseases that are breaking out all over the world. Oh, okay. uh, very, very clever, very, very 
uh, top-notch game. Um, and they made a new version of it that is a legacy game, which means that decisions you make and how, how one game plays out actually impacts the next game. Hmm. And so you play it a bunch of times and then, then you're done. It's like a campaign, right? It's like a, it's like a role playing game campaign, except it's a board game. Oh, so wow. very, very interesting. It was, yeah. Legacy games are kind of one of the hot new things right now. There's only a handful of them, but uh pandemic legacy was really good. So that's, I, I, that's not quite on my desert Island list, but it, I'm yeah. giving it a shout out cause it was really cool. good. Well, where, where in your, you know, upbringing is the big pivot into board games in general. Just this, you know, you know, where was it? You think? Uh, as a kid, I was much more of a computer gamer than a, than a tabletop gamer. Okay. Um, because yeah, like, like a lot of people, uh, growing up, I didn't know about anything other than Monopoly, sorry, Candyland, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of crap. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, uh, but the um but I played a lot of computer games. Um and then like I said, so so when Settlers of Catan came out, I was about let's see, when was that? I would have been about twenty-five. Uh I, I was in I was in my late twenties when I got into these, you know, more strategy sort of tabletop games. And then it was around uh my uh it was around when I was thirty that I, that I started being like, okay, I, I could maybe do this myself as well. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting that it was a little bit later in life. Not, yeah, not you yeah. and three other buddies kind of hanging out, playing uh, something in the basement or something along those lines. Yeah. Interesting. So what does the next uh, seven days look like uh, for the campaign? Uh, let's see what it looks like is, <clears throat> uh, well, the, the ad, the ad push is coming. So hopefully we'll get a, a, boost from that um there's always an end of campaign boost um the stretch goals as you as you saw um we've unlocked all the the major ones and now we're just unlocking a new replacement drink every uh, 4k or whatever it is um uh and the way that works is we we have a every every red dragon in base set comes with a drink deck um you know the the drinks that you're knocking back as you're you know, sitting there at the tavern. Um, and what we're doing is, uh, for every 4k after 80, um, we're taking that, uh, sort of normal drink deck and we're replacing drinks with more villainous, like, you know, nastier versions of it. So we'll see. I believe that if we get, uh, we, we set it up so that if we get to somewhere around 200, we've unlocked, but we've we've actually replaced pretty much everything. Okay. Um I, I would have to go look at the numbers yeah. again to see exactly what the replacement uh rate is. But um but yeah, that's what we're doing. Um but yeah, what what's left for the campaign is no, we're we're at this point we're just sitting back answering uh backer questions, mm-hmm. um dealing with any problems that might come up and and playtesting our game because uh you know we're we got uh we got some more work to do on it. That's cool. And then, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, kind of going above that. What, what's the year, what's the next year, five years, 10 years look like for uh slugfest games and, and the red dragon series? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question that, that I, I admit I need to spend a little more time <laughs> thinking about. Um, but we have some ideas for, uh, we have some ideas for, like I said, another possible villain set or possibly just, you know, one-off or two-off villains. We have, uh, we we already have an idea, and no, I'm not going to leak any of it <laughs> for Red Dragon in Seven. Okay. Um, uh, we we have, and we have a bunch of different game ideas that are uh, that are that are still very fledgling. Um, however, expect to see probably another two Kickstarter campaigns from Slugfest Games in 2017. Um, expect to see more Red Dragon stuff because if, if, if people keep thinking it's fun and people keep buying our products, we'll keep right. making yep. them. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that's a good um, formula to have right there. And expect, um, expect over the next couple of years to see uh, 
another, you know, probably another couple games that like Battle for Greyport are Red Dragon Inn themed, set in that world um, with those characters, but are completely different mm. games. Cool. That's cool. That's a lot on the plate. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, um, yeah. we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah. That I mean, it'll probably end up, you know, taking us a good three years to do all right, of those right, things right, I just yep, said. Yep. Well, that's cool. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking up some time out of your day to uh, to chat with me and my listeners. Uh, uh, you had a real successful Kickstarter campaign. Looks like you got a lot on the plate, but um, you've got a great success track record, and uh, looks like a fun game, man. I'm excited to check it out. It's great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ian. All right. Thanks so much. Red Dragon in six villains. Go check it out. And uh, Jeff, thanks again. Thank you. All right. How about that conversation, huh? A lot of really good stuff. I mean, I really dug into the the portion of what gaming was like pre-Kickstarter, right? That's a whole nother world. And, and it's just amazing to me what Kickstarter has done to the board, the tabletop board games, RPGs. It's just, it's fascinating, man. Fascinating what, it, what uh, you know, a community and, and uh, that can do, that can do for it, you know? It's just awesome. Song we're listening to right now, uh, it's called Cowboy. Another really important song in my life. Um, one of the earliest, earlier ones I wrote, but one where I found like really digging these lyrics and the emotions and really starting to find myself as a songwriter. So check this out. It's on the Race Table Story. And I uh, hope you guys all have a great weekend. And we'll see you all on Monday. Another pill, another hill to climb